Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. It's going to be an interesting program, an interesting conversation that we're going to have today. And um, to that end, I'm going to basically tell you that uh, there is uh, everything about this program is, I'll call it all natural. It's real. Uh, I'm real. My guest is real. The music that you just heard is very real. Been using it for almost 15 years. Uh, and uh, long before what we're going to talk about uh, is is real. It's It's very real. And you uh, listening are real. But what we're going to talk about is a period of time that he, our, our, our guest, who is an author, the author of the book, The New Roaring Twenties. That's right. And we talk about the 20s, the 2020s, if you will, the decade of perfect vision, where we ask you to go within and listen to that still small voice. Well, now we're going to ask you to listen to um, <clears throat> a big voice here of Stephen Jarko. He's the author of The New Roaring Twenties, AI in America. Now, I know we're focusing on America, but obviously this transcends that. And uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Um. If you use the phrase AI or artificial intelligence, it either excites the listener, they love the idea, they're maybe they're, I mean, because I'm a big science fiction fan and so forth, and AI has been written about, obviously, for decades in sci-fi, or it uh, puts the fear of God into them as if, oh my God, uh, uh, Mad Max and... Uh, um, all of these other movies where the machines take over and the computers take over. I still remember one of the early um, uh, computer uh, takeover movies. I think it was called War Games, uh, where the computer said, eh, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And we're going to scare the bejesus out of both the Americans and the Russians. Uh, let's uh, let's start from the beginning here about how you became interested in and how this book developed, obviously, from years ago. This book was started by my very good friend, Paul Zane Pilzer. And Paul was responding to questions from his children as to what the next 10 years might hold. So Paul started working on this several years ago, but then he became ill. And he and his wife called me and asked me if I would complete the book, uh, which I did. It took me three or four months to wrap it up, and the book's just come out. And we devote a lot of time to the subject of the impact of technology, particularly technology with artificial intelligence, over the next 10 years. Uh, it's going to be pervasive in our lives, uh, it's going to impact uh, the economy, uh, the geopolitical situations around the world, and the detail of our lives. Of course, we already have artificial intelligence embedded in our lives and have had it for many years. It governs our cell phones, our, uh, search engines, automobiles, recommendation uh, services, uh, infrastructure, logistics, they all have artificial intelligence. But what has changed here most recently is 
the addition of generative uh, artificial intelligence using what are called large language models. These are uh, basically very fast computers, uh, very advanced, using advanced semiconductor chips, which are able to create content, text, code, images, video. This is a very significant change. The uh, major uh, information technology companies in our country and overseas are all focused on generative artificial intelligence. It's going to guide their fortunes and it's created an arms race to see who is going to make the most progress the quickest. Well, and of course, uh, you mentioned uh, um, uh, uh, the written word, images, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, this is part of the argument uh, that's uh, underway uh, currently with the current uh, strike in Hollywood. Uh, they're real upset about this whole thing. And yet, are, um, are the algorithms, we've heard this word many, many times, where uh, some of the social media sites, uh, Google and uh, uh, Amazon and et cetera, et cetera. They use what are called algorithms. It's a it's a code that that is put in there. Um, is that like an early version of AI where it's it's basically uh, gathering data on me and all of my choices on the internet, regardless of what it is, and then sending me information related to those choices that I made on the internet. A prime example, a few years ago, this hat I'm wearing, um, when I was scanning the internet looking for this hat, I didn't see any ads, no ads whatsoever for this hat. The moment I made the purchase, ads for this hat kept popping up. And I thought, wait a minute, that's backwards. They should be trying to sell me a hat before I buy one. I've already bought one. Why would I want another one? <laughs> But is that a, is the algorithm sort of a, a a primitive version of AI? It is. Uh, social media is a primitive or crude version of AI, and unfortunately, we've seen the corrosive impact that social media can have in terms of misinformation, addiction among our children, and uh, obsessions about all the wrong things. So we've already seen some of the negative impacts of artificial intelligence. Uh, the phenomena you're referring to uh, really emanates from the gathering of data, which is one of the objectives of artificial intelligence and has been uh, since it began its origins you know, during the 1940s and 1950s, actually. But in recent years, uh, gathering information, data on all of us, is what drives advertising, what drives referral engines, uh, and it is really a very valuable commodity, both commercially as well as geopolitically. Hmm. So, in a manner of speaking, correct me if I am wrong here, um... And this is just my own personal observation, okay? It none of this bothers me. As a matter of fact, 
not only does it not bother me, I don't care. I just don't care. Uh, because here's my perspective, philosophically, if you will. Um, the God of the universe, however you choose to view him, her, it, they, what have you, what have you uh, already knows, this is according to the ancient wisdom teachings, as I like to call them, already knows everything about me, okay? And my perspective is, with over 8 billion people in the world, what difference does it make if they know? Because most of them, they don't care. They have no interest in me. They're too busy just living their lives, just trying to survive. Is that a would you <laughs> is that a healthy perspective for one to have? Or should we be afraid or should we be excited about the prospects for our future? Well, you've asked some good questions. Um First of all, I'm inclined to have a view quite similar to yours. Uh, for myself, you know, I kind of don't care what people know about me. And I also recognize, as you observed, that most people don't care about me. They're, they're too concerned about themselves and their lives. And we all have a tendency from uh, early on in our lives to be very concerned about what other people think. And, and that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. However, kind of no one cares one way or the other. If you go into a meeting or a room and you're all concerned about what people are thinking, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about what they're going to have for lunch. They're not thinking about their opinion of you. And furthermore, their opinion of you in most cases does not matter. It makes no difference. So as philosophically, you know, I agree with you. Um, where it becomes tenuous is the manipulation of that data and the use of that data uh, to damage other humans. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to improve our lives dramatically. It's going to create great wealth. Uh, it's going to replace a lot of functions right now that are very crude. It'll enable doctors to diagnose illnesses. Uh, it'll assist with surgeries. Uh, it'll create new pharma. Uh, but uh, it also uh, creates the opportunity for uh, deep fakes, which is basically a fraudulent activity of creating an image of someone without their knowledge. Uh, it creates the opportunity, uh, much more so than social media has so far, for uh, uh, misinformation and uh, confusion. Uh, it, it can create anxiety in humans. And you know, those are all difficult issues. Mm -hmm. However, uh, where it really becomes interesting and of concern is when we come to autonomous weapon systems where he can make a decision as to whether uh, a target will be attacked or a kill shot will be taken. Uh, the Department of Defense has taken the position that any kind of targeting needs to have a human involvement, but that's not really going to restrain uh, other countries and other bad actors 
And in order for us to preserve our republic, we need to have the ability to deal with these sorts of things. And that may mean, in fact, it probably will mean that we will have autonomous weapon systems as well. And then we have machines making decisions as to whether to kill humans. And that could be a, a real problem. There is a more than zero chance that artificial intelligence is the end of us. Um, I don't know that that will be the result. No one does. But there are risks all along the line that at some point AI will either turn on us or more likely simply make a mistake and wipe out uh, a, a great many humans. So there is that risk up there, out there, and that's where one should draw concern. Stephen Jarko is my guest. He received his uh, BBS, MA, and a JD from the University of Wisconsin. Also has been involved with the production uh, and or distribution of over 250 motion pictures, television series. Um, his films have won two Academy Awards. He's been nominated for five Emmys, winning in 2021 for Girls' Voices Now. Uh, and uh, he has been a principal in more than 100 real estate uh, ventures and is uh, the author of five books on real estate finance. Did you have anything to do, any connection whatsoever to do, if I'm correct with the name of the building, the Millennial Building in San Francisco? <laughs> I did not. Okay, that's good. <laughs> then we won't go there. Uh, I still find that whole story. I mean, certainly it's it's uh, it's. It's tragic in one sense. Um, it's dangerous as hell because the building's been built and is still leaning and still sinking. But I'm less worried about that. I'm more concerned, if you will, not generally worried per se, about the fact that I heard a report just the other day that Manhattan is sinking. And I'm sitting here going, well, when you put too much weight on something that is an island uh, of, of, the, of the structure that it is, it's going to sink. I mean, that's just that that's the laws of physics, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, it's it's just a lot of interesting conversation that we are having here with Stephen Jarko. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation right here on this program we call Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, we're talking about uh, A.I., and uh, I love the, the the part of the title of your book, The New Roaring Twenties. Uh, we're in 2023 already, and we have seen the beginnings that have started with humans uttering statements that are blatantly, from my perspective, blatantly false, fake, untrue, uh, unsubstantiated. There are no facts to back up these statements, and yet people believe them. And yet they're afraid of AI. Uh, I I have to wonder sometimes. But you said something very interesting, specifically about this targeting in business, and it, it does remind me again of that movie War Games, which I believe came out. I want to say in the late seventies or early eighties, uh, you know, having to do with the military and all of a sudden the nuclear weapons they're showing, they're launching and so forth, and and this kid, this young kid. He comes in and he saves the day. And I'm going, okay, so is that going to happen to us? But it also raises another philosophical question, Stephen. 
Um, I worked 15 years for a Christian radio station back in the 80s and early 90s. And all they would talk about was the end of the world. They would talk about the mark of the beast. They would talk about the Antichrist and on and on. And I'm sitting here thinking, so are Christians thinking AI might be the Antichrist? Um, I mean, I can't show you my phone because it disappears <laughs> on my screen because of what I've got set up. But they say we could launch rockets with our phones today compared to what they did uh, during the Apollo program in a room full of computers. And um, nobody seems to be bothered about that. They're worried about the government tracking them. And yet our phones, if, we, if you have it with you, guess what? You're being tracked. And they've proven that uh, if you have a, a your microphone turned on, and even if you don't, they can hear every word you're saying. And I sit here going, if you're listening to me, I'm flattered that you find my conversation with Stephen Jarko uh, that interesting that you would be listening. Um, what about the 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 this philosophical and or if you will religious uh as i say I, I i refer to the ancient wisdom teachings whether it's the quran the bible the bhagavad-gita books on buddhism to you know and on and the list goes on um and there are only a few religions that are telling us that um you know we only have a short time left because the prophecies have been fulfilled etc 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 can you tie the ai into that whole mindset well, you have raised probably a hundred questions. <laughs> I tend to do that. Sorry. But let, let me parse a little <laughs> okay. bit. Okay. Uh, the way we started, you, you noted uh, the real estate issues of places uh, sinking. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's going on. In addition, the world is expanding or shrinking, depending on your point of view. Mm -hmm. And... Bottom line, uh, uh, the pandemic and AI and remote or hybrid working is destroying real estate value right now for commercial properties because there isn't as great a need for uh, office space as there was before. And this is going to cause uh, an economic ripple during the next 10 years. Moving on from that, you've asked uh, actually uh, a pretty profound question, I think, which is, uh, does AI uh, create the potential for the end of the world? And is this something that ties into, you know, the various ancient wisdoms? Uh, you know, pretty much every religion has their own version of the end of the world. And it creates an opportunity to uh, get the faithful excited about that prospect. Uh, one of the biggest supporters, uh, group that supports Israel, are evangelical Christians mm -hmm. who support Israel in part because they believe that that is where the end of the world will occur and it's important for Israel to rise up and cause, in part, the circumstances of the end of the world. Um, I have no idea whether any of these religions are accurately predicting. Uh, however, you do hear a lot of nonsense uh, from uh, many of the uh, 
ministers and uh, priests and others from all religions based, as you point out, kind of on nothing. Uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people I respect, with friends, who will make some grand statement about either a conservative point of view or a liberal point of view or none of those points of view. And you'll ask them, well, what is this based upon? And they come back to you with, um, well, I read it on the Internet. Or more likely, my sister or brother read it on the Internet, and I'm parsing or uh, repeating, rather, what they had to say. So there's incredible disinformation, both from religious leaders and from the internet in general. And we're being bombarded by this. I feel very sorry for our young people. You know, when I grew up back in the olden days, <clears throat> you had three TV networks <laughs> and uh, you had a pretty simple life. It was mm -hmm. a great life, really. Um, now these poor kids, uh, you know, they start out with cell phones at age three or four and they're bombarded with social media, with body shaming, with all kinds of different issues. It's very hard for them. Now, I think they'll get through it and prevail. I think ultimately they'll figure things out, but uh, they're faced with many uh, more challenges than I know I was as uh, when, I, when I was growing up. Um, they're, there's a real interesting phenomena going on right now, which is people seem to be so angry and aggravated by everything and frightened uh, most of the time and anxious. One of the ways that we perhaps deal with artificial intelligence is to become more human and to reach out to one another and embrace one another, listen to one another, engage in more human experiences. People are tending to engage only with their machines. And sometimes machines can enable a human interaction, as you pointed out at the top of the hour. Uh, you know, this is a real human interaction. We're having yeah. a conversation. It's enabled by technology. But all too many times you see people sitting in restaurants on a date or a, or a married couple, and they spend the entire meal looking at their phones and not really talking to one another. We kind of need to break that cycle if we're going to deal with AI and become more human. There are all sorts of opportunities for each of us, particularly as we grow older and our friends grow older and have illnesses and challenges to be of service to one another. And we should all be looking for opportunities uh, and we should expect nothing in return. You do it because it's the right thing to do and you know it in your heart that this is what you should be doing in this circumstance. Uh, all too many people uh, grow inward, uh, obsessed with their machines. We need to kind of stop that and become more human. Um, and I, th I think if we will do that, in addition to understanding as much as we can about how AI works, 
and regulating it. Frankly, there's going to be a lot of litigation related to AI. You know, an example would be uh, a company that harms uh, people as a result of a using AI in its business, which, by the way, is going to be just about everybody, every company. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's responsible for that? Is it the AI somehow? Is it the company that utilized the AI? Is it the information technology company that built the AI? Is it the manufacturer of the chips? Because chips are the critical ingredient for AI, these advanced semiconductor chips. Um, All too often, there's uh, all this conversation about the impact of AI. And frankly, there's not a recognition that without the ability to create these amazing chips and the technology of, of Silicon Valley and of these advanced chips, has advanced more than any other technology in human history, simply in the last two to three years. Uh, There's something called Moore's Law, which says that our ability to advance technology through silicon chips doubles every two years. And if anything, that law understates how rapidly these things are happening. Now, one interesting thing that's going on right now is the U.S. uh, is engaged in a silicon blockade of Russia and China and are uh, aggressively preventing these chips from going to these two countries as well as other countries that are problematic throughout the world. This really started in the Republican administration with Huawei, uh, which was a large technology company that had uh, basically been a part of most cell phones uh, for a period of many years. And they were basically stopped in their tracks. And then the current Democratic administration, through the Department of Commerce, which is the least funded department Uh, in the U.S. government, and specifically the Bureau of Industry and Security, which almost no one knows about, issued a missive, 139 pages in October, which basically prevented any chip that had U.S. technology or had U.S. components in it could not be exported to China. As a result, if this is effective, it will stop for the next decade or so, China's technological developments, particularly with with respect to AI. Um, Again, it's largely been ignored and it's unclear whether it's going to be effective, but if you stop the chips and America together with Taiwan and um, Japan and the Netherlands Mm -hmm. basically are responsible for all the chips. Taiwan being very important. And one of the things we probably should do is move a lot of the chip manufacturing out of Taiwan and back to the U.S. so we have a little more control. But this chip battle uh, is kind of underlies everything. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Absolutely. Um, uh, A quick question in that regard. 
by the same token, how can we be certain that the United States and its govern our government, uh, even what is referred, I don't, and I don't even know if this even exists, the shadow government, uh, there's a government within a government kind of thing. Uh, how can we be sure that we're going to do the right thing and those types of things? That's a concern of a lot of people. Okay, yeah, well, we got a little concern over China and Russia and Iran and and this place and that place and the other place. But, you know, uh, there's a there's a line from an old Harry Chapin song that said, I wouldn't cross the street to help you, the U.S. government, live a lie. And there are people who feel that way, that we can't trust our own government uh, to to do the right thing. And that's uh, that's a rather interesting thing. And I want to pursue that when we continue here with uh, Stephen Jarko here. And we're talking about his book, The Roaring Twenties. And we will continue to do so uh, here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Stephen Jarko is my guest, and we're talking about the the new Roaring Twenties having to do with AI. It's a very fascinating conversation, to say the least. But uh, you brought up those those very serious points about doing the right thing, uh, about uh, us being more human and so forth. But the problem is we've got people within our own government. Now, uh, whether you're a pro or con about uh, Donald Trump, he had people around him during his administration who would, and this is, they've talked about this, who would remove certain documents from his desk so that he wouldn't see them, so that he wouldn't deal with them because they knew, or they had a pretty good idea that it wasn't a good idea for him to see this stuff and, and that he didn't really care. He didn't take it seriously, whatever. Well, if you've got people like that within the government <clears throat> who are withholding or manipulating information that's going to the highest office in the land, then it's got to be happening at almost every level of government. And now you introduce AI and Katie bar the door. I mean, have we opened Pandora's box specifically speaking about government and what you referred to in terms of uh, the problematic uh, peoples of the rest of the world? Well, again, you raised a number of questions. Uh, uh, let's start with Trump. I, you know, it is my personal opinion that Trump was a special case and continues to be a special case. Uh, you know, there was some uh, outrageous behavior going on in his administration the entire time. <clears throat> so I kind of would put Trump aside. Okay. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, talking about him is all that constructive in terms of solving any problems. Uh, but you, you get my example as I'm, as I'm presenting it to you. I do. Okay. Uh, yeah, I understand the point you're making, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, you're always going to have uh, good people and bad people in government. And it's going to be very difficult in many cases to figure out who's good and who's bad. Mm -hmm. Because if someone does what you think is the right thing, they're good. And if they do something that's contrary to that, they're, they're bad. Um, one of the things that we've sort of lost in this country is, again, listening to those who have a different point of view. Not necessarily to convince them of anything, but to understand where they're coming from. Yes, to have them be heard. Um, 
you know, your show does this. It, it's, it's important to not be all aggravated or, you know, create an argument, but rather have a constructive discussion. Um, you know, these, these AI models <clears throat> are based on language. And it's language that, <clears throat> excuse me, really underlies our entire culture and civilization. Uh, the, and it's the stories we tell. Religion is based on stories. One believes or does not believe the stories. Money is a product of stories. And money today is largely digital. But the reason we believe money is real is because of the stories we have told ourselves about money. Um, democracy is a story. And the question is whether you accept or believe that story. And I would tie that into the point you're making about you know, certain people being concerned that our government uh, cannot be trusted. Well, it's a question of what stories you believe. If, if you go back and really study history and look at the stories about our government, you will discern that it's been a mess from the beginning. There have been uh, occasional brilliance and occasional acts of great heroism. Uh, you know, George Washington not standing for a third term is an example, perhaps. Um, Abraham Lincoln uh, assimilating a uh, temporary cabinet of all of his adversaries in order to keep his enemies close <laughs> and, to hear, and to hear their contrary opinions. But then to be willing to admit when he is wrong, uh, which is something that too few people do today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm right about as often as I'm wrong. Uh, and it, I don't even prefer to call it wrong or mm -hmm. incorrect. I think as we gain more and more information from, you know, conversations like this and reading and other sources from technology, you refine your opinions, you change your opinions. That doesn't mean you were wrong. You just gained some additional information that permitted you to view things in perhaps a somewhat different way. Um, I personally have great faith in our democracy. This, it's always been a jumble. It's always been a mess. Uh, there's corruption. Mm -hmm. There's people, uh, you know, taking advantage of the power that they have, but looking around, it's probably as good a system as we could come up with historically. It's prevailed for you know, a couple hundred years now, a mm -hmm. uh, little more, and uh, we're still here. Um, we still get through our elections, uh, despite all challenges and problems with that. Um, and um, actually, we have really good lives compared to the rest of the world. Uh, we kind of live and we have since World War II in a bubble uh, where we are protected by virtue of our 
location in the world, surrounded by oceans, and having two countries that are relatively friendly, Mexico and Canada, on our borders, and as well as our belief systems, our stories that we tell mm -hmm. ourselves and others, and we've kind of held it together. Now, there's a good chance that AI will be the biggest challenge we have ever had, mm -hmm. because it is possible that these very sophisticated machines will now be telling some of our stories. And this is the first time that the stories are coming not from other humans, good or bad, but are rather coming from uh, an alien intelligence. Uh, not one coming from outer space, but one that we've created. And it's a little telling that the technologists and the engineers who have created this incredible leap forward in human technology really don't understand how it works. Uh, they don't know the specific details. That doesn't mean that it didn't take uh, you know, thousands of rel relatively brilliant people to develop these things, but at the core of it, not quite clear how these large language models work. And that's a little concerning. So as I pointed out earlier, you know, there's more than a zero chance that, that this is the end of things. And, uh, you know, either by design or by accident, uh, it's kind of the end of human history. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Um, I don't think that's how it's going to play out. But as I pointed out, I'm wrong about as often as I'm right. <laughs> Well, uh, Stephen, um, I'm I'm along the same lines, and uh, to give you my perspective on uh, doing the right thing versus the wrong thing or making a mistake, uh, I've neither I've neither done either of those things, nor have I ever made a mistake in my life. What I have had are life lessons, or you could also call them <clears throat> uh, um, uh, uh, what are the, uh, teaching moments, if you will. I mean, uh, Edison, for example, um, he. Uh, it is said, <clears throat> found uh, 990 some odd ways that a light bulb didn't work. But you notice there are 990 different ways that he found out that a light bulb didn't work, which means he learned from each one of those. So he didn't make any mistakes. He wasn't wrong. He was just seeing what would work. And he finally found what would work. And then now we've transitioned from his invention uh, to what was it, a Japanese uh, inventor and the LED, which is in uh, a car headlight for me is a pain in the butt. But that's another story for another time. We're talking with Stephen uh, Jarko and we're talking about his book, The New Roaring Twenties here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Stephen Jarko, I wanted to just present to you with a couple things because you mentioned this president. And I want to dovetail off of this when we talked earlier about, you know, computers and so forth and so on and the Internet and social media. <clears throat> and it's an interesting thing. And I, I, I share this with people all the time and they get a good chuckle out of it. I said, did you read where on the Internet where Abraham Lincoln said that you shouldn't trust anything you read on the Internet? And it's like it takes them a moment and they finally get it. And uh, I find that fascinating, but I wanted to dovetail into this AI thing 
There's this concept called transhuman. It has nothing to do with the, the whole gender thing. This has to do with people who, kind of like Steve Austin in The Six Million Dollar Man with the artificial eye and the limbs, and he can run faster and stronger and so on and so forth. And there are people who would love to have their consciousness transferred into either an Android or maybe a computer. And there was a great movie with Johnny Depp who had his consciousness transferred into a computer, but he still seemed to retain as the movie wore on his moral compass. Not at first. He thought it was pretty cool and he was just doing all kinds of stuff. And then he began to realize that he was hurting people, but he retained his moral compass, if you will, even having his consciousness put into that. First of all, is that something along the same lines or in conjunction, or maybe it's in parallel with AI? Could something like that happen where someone, if we can, I don't know if they've been doing research on, I'm sure they've been doing research on it, to transfer one's consciousness to a non-biological device, if you will, I'll use that general term, but also have that programming that chip in regards to AI? Uh, there has been a theology in Silicon Valley for some time uh, among certain technologists and uh, philosophers that the ultimate direction and the final phase of our existence is going to be a digital or artificial intelligence uh, circumstance, and that, uh, and you know, you, you read about this every so often. You know, people mm -hmm. like Elon Musk and others have commented that this is what's supposed to happen. Uh, that we don't, we will at some point not really need our physical bodies. We will uh, transfer to a machine or digital existence. Um, there, there is also a point of view that you know, if, if in fact we have a soul, that you can transfer the uh, intellect and the data processing ability, but you can't really transfer the soul. So you can get into a whole theological discussion of what exactly are you transferring over. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't know that this is how the direction things should go necessarily. <laughs> uh, I can certainly uh, debate that, and I, and I have a few times. So you're uh, asking the same question I am. Just because we can, does that mean we should? Well, um, whether we should or not, some uh, advanced technologists are going to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I may come to the conclusion that we should or shouldn't, but that's not going to stop the process. And, yeah. we, and you know, there's, there's a variation of this, which is if your grandmother dies, uh, will we develop the technology that you can basically create a digital image of your grandmother that you can then speak to and uh, have a relationship with even after 
your grandmother physically dies, um, you know, I have a couple of very good friends right now who are quite ill. And on some level, I am really going to be sad and miss them. And, you know, it's like, I don't remember the song by Bread, which, you know, I would give everything I own to uh, spend more time with you yeah. and touch your hand. It's a very touching song. And it was really written mm -hmm. for the father of one of the members of that group. And the fact that they were so missed. So on some level, you'd like the opportunity to continue uh, even an awkward or digital version of that. On the mm -hmm. other hand, there's an argument that if you do that, you really haven't properly grieved for the loss. You basically are deluding yourself into believing there's a continuation of life and it's highly questionable whether that's really the case. And you really haven't gone through the process that all of us have to go through, which is to lose friends, lose family, and ultimately, you know, accept the inevitability and reality of death for ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, during the last few days, I've been sitting with a very close friend of mine who is near death. I've known this woman forever. She's such a dear friend and such a kind, sweet person. And you know, just as I had to do with my parents eight, nine years ago, I have to accept the fact that she is going to be gone. Um, there will be a real sadness about that. But also she'll be rid of the pain that she currently feels. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, who knows where we go after we're gone. No one really knows. Mm -hmm. you know, there are uh, you know, a massive amount of people who think they know or have a story to tell themselves, but uh, you know, none of us really know. And for me, this experience of spending this time with her and also with my parents years ago, is it helps me process my own death, which will come at some point here, and realize that it's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Um, you know, it's, it's life and death. It's the process. And if you can be accepting and not fearful of your own death, uh, you'll probably live a better life. Mm-hmm. I lost my father uh, back on March 1st of this year, and uh, it's been an, I'm going to say, an interesting journey for me. Uh, uh, I've done uh, the grieving and so forth, but also um, I had a relationship with my dad, which was really terrific. Uh, you know, I, I was actually pressed by one gentleman. He kept asking me, well, there wasn't, wasn't there an instance where your dad was this, that, or the other thing, and, you know, you have the trauma, and so I said, no. I said, did he use the belt on me? Sure. When I was a little kid, he did to get me to behave. But after a while, he stopped doing that because number one, he realized that wasn't the best way to do it. Number two was he didn't want to hurt me. Um, but I, I did something for my father when he was alive or when I was living in Phoenix. And uh, we had a baseball team that came to town called the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. And you know the story how the dad takes the kid to the to the ball game. Well, my dad couldn't do that. My dad didn't drive. He had low vision and so forth. And after I had my lens implant in 90, 96, I thought, 
oh, you know what? It would be so cool. I want to take my dad to a ball game. Even if he's not a ball, a baseball fan, he's more football and college, ASU and so forth. I took him to two games. And the second game we went to, we were up in the nosebleed section. He said, I really can't see anything from up here. I said, sure, no problem. So we went down to the restaurant out in the outfield and uh, TGI Fridays, and they had a big screen right there at the table. And we were able to watch the game and we had a conversation and it was, it was, it was that moment, but in reverse. And I just thought that was so cool. So I have those things. And my dad, he, uh, he left with a couple of conditions, Parkinson's and uh, onset of dementia. Mm. And I'm glad that he didn't go through any of that. And he is free of that body, like you just described. And I know he's happier because he's with his eldest daughter who passed away the year before, my, my eldest sister. So these experiences are, are as you talk about, are so, um, they can be so profound. They're so important. And yeah, we do need, there are people who haven't, they're, they're, they're husband, wife, sibling, best friend. I lost my best friend of 53 years on May 1st of this year. And, and uh, um, some people they haven't, they haven't grieved. I have to tell you, I haven't cried over my best friend because every time I think about him, I laugh because of the fun we used to have together in grade school, high school, and college. I, I can't, you know, that hasn't come yet, but that maybe that's part of my grieving process is I get to laugh. You remember that Mary Tyler Moore episode where Mary was at the uh, funeral of a clown and you started bursting out laughing. Whatever you're feeling, you, you need to feel it whether it's tears or it's laughter or whatever. And I thank you very much for, for bringing that, uh, bringing that up because uh, being a transhuman, if you will, or having your consciousness transferred, I, I don't want to stay here. I mean, and it's not that it's a bad place. Don't get me wrong. I'm having a great time on this ride, playing this game, if you will, with you right now. But if today my ticket is punched, I'm good to go. I'm okay. There's still more I want to do, but I'm good to go. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. And, well, uh, story, I, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say stories in our culture. And I think every culture have a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, in, you know, I'm, I'm in the motion picture business and screenplays have, <clears throat> they're done well, typically a three act structure. And that's the way human beings process either video or text. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's important that our lives have a three act structure mm -hmm. that we have like television does have six different acts going on. And uh, if we live a full life, that's probably the case, but ultimately we need to reach an end. And if one can be comfortable with that, yeah, and recognize, look, I've, I've done the best I could. I've looked out for other people. I've helped them where I can. I have really few regrets. You know, it, grieving is okay. Grieving is a natural human, human phenomenon where people really have a hard time is if they have regrets, if they mm -hmm. did not reach out to their parents, if they did not uh, acknowledge uh you know, someone who is close to them. And if you don't tell people that you like them or you love them, and you don't do that in your life, you know, one of the things you and I can do, and this is something I try to do every week, I try to reach out to somebody I haven't talked to for a while 
and give them a call because people get busy and you know you can be offended by that and say well they should really call me no (laughs) reach out to them they will be in most cases really happy to hear from you oh yeah and that will be that'll make their day if not their week and you know look for opportunities to reach out to others and be of service. And frankly, that's one of the ways we'll deal with an artificial intelligence world. You know, uh, you, you bring into this conversation a very, a very human, uh, a very spiritual, if you will. I like to use the word metaphysical. Oh, boy, did I get in trouble at the Christian station when I used that word? And I said, do you know the definition? Have you ever looked up the word metaphysical? The definition is beyond the physical. And your faith, your philosophy is just that. It's beyond the physical. It is not rooted in the material world. It's about heaven and all of that. Uh, and I am so glad that, uh, that, that, uh, that we have introduced that because people can get lost quite honestly, in the conversation about AI, regardless of their perspective. And as I've, as you and I tend to agree, doesn't bother me in the least, you know, I mean, what's going to happen is going to happen. And then there's, there's this philosophy by some who would say, well, how do you know that this isn't the direction that mankind is supposed to go? And we don't. We honestly do not know what direction. We can read all the ancient wisdom teachings. Uh, uh, We can talk to all kinds of uh, quote-unquote channelers, you know, who are talking to the other side and so forth. But nobody really knows. We believe. We have those beliefs. And uh, I just find this kind of a conversation so interesting with Stephen Jarkov and his book, The Roar, the New Roaring Twenties. I hope that you'll go and get a copy of his book. Uh, where would we want to send people uh, to find out more about this book, The Roaring Twenties, AI in America? Uh, Stephen, how, how, how would we uh, direct people? Well, the book is being sold, of course, online on Amazon and Walmart and all the various online services. It's also in Barnes and Noble and most independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easily accessible and you can either and, buy it store or, or order it. And what about your website? Where should we send people who want to find out more about you? Well, uh, you know, you can either Google or search my name and, uh, You'll learn a little bit about the movies I've made and about the books I've written and my background mm-hmm. uh, and also a little bit more about this book. Uh, do you think that as a movie maker of yourself, and by the way, we could have gone down that direction, but I'm going to pass you on to someone else who is going to talk to you about those things. Uh, I think it'll make a fascinating program uh, here on this station, as well as the podcast that he does. But I, uh, Are you concerned that uh, setting the strike aside, that uh, somewhere down the road, maybe sooner rather than later, we are going to see a full length feature film that is totally AI created? I think so. Yes. I don't know how good it'll be. Of course, course, uh, you can say the same things about human needs. It's true. Yes. Most of them are not very good. Uh, it's difficult to finance a movie, difficult to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And 
people work very hard and the results are often less than satisfactory. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, studios will use AI uh, for movies and we'll see you know, the quality. We'll see what they look like. Yeah. I've even heard it said, and I kind of lean this direction, that there is going to come a point where people are going to say, I don't want it. No, get it out of here. But my 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 theory or thinking is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that because it's already a part of our our lives here on this planet, uh, it's it's kind of like trying to take the uh, the lemon juice, the straight fresh squeezed lemon juice, out of a container of water. <laughs> It's in there and you're not going to get it out. Well, um, the genie is out of the bottle to use a different metaphor. Okay. Better, it, better. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to a certain extent whether we like it or not, other than we can form our own point of view. We can educate ourselves. You know, I encourage everyone to experiment and use, you know, the, chat gpt and all of the other you know there's dozens of these ai tools and become familiar with them and you know be in a position to much as we are here talk about it mm -hmm. oh uh, by the way is is your book in audible yet yes oh wonderful so i'll go to uh to audible books and i'll download that and i'll listen to your book uh, did you narrate it or did you have someone else no, uh, it's the woman uh, who oh. narrates it. I think I think she does a terrific job. Uh, Paul, my co-writer, has uh, often narrated his own books in the past. I think he's written 12, 13 books. Uh, but this one, uh, she did, and I do not know her name off the top of my head, but I thought she did a really great job. It's, an, it's fun to listen to. I have to tell you that I have downloaded more of my guests' books and listened to those, listened to them as I am driving, and it is just a kick. Whether it's the author reading them or someone else, uh, it is it is nice to read and and even have you know a lot of a lot of interviewers they'll read the book beforehand. I do so many interviews, I just don't have the time. But uh, I'm a curious individual. And uh, then when I get a chance to read like your book, which I will download and, and, and get from uh, Audible, um, it's like, oh, wow, greater insight into what he said in the interview. Oh, I get that even more so. A matter of fact, I was uh, I interviewed a rabbi and he wrote a book about uh, legacy, what we leave, you know, what are they going to say about us when we leave? And um, um, we had the interview and everything and I downloaded his book and I listened to it. His first chapter was about the loss of his father, which... I could relate to like you could not believe it was wonderful. It was absolutely so beautiful the way that chapter transitioned into my life at that moment. And so I look forward to that whole thing as well uh, in that context. Um, I'm going to uh, let our listeners know we're talking to Stephen uh, Jarko and uh, you are listening to tell me your story. <laughs> 